you know, no, no matter how old you are, you, you always miss your mom. Uh, uh, this is the part where you say, I'll miss you too. Oh, well, I, I will. I will miss you too, honestly. And, you know, I'll be back before you can say, who do Royka, soccer, Dana? What? <laughs> that is Norwegian for have you smoked your socks? <laughs> <laughs> Sora. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 235 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that, ho, ho, holy fuck, we've got seven hours recorded to talk about. I'm Gavin. And I don't know what day it is. <laughs> Do you know what day it is? It's, it's Friday. It must be, since we're doing the podcast. That's the only reason that's why I know. That's the only reason why. <laughs> <laughs> it's that week between Christmas and New Year's where everyone just kind of walks around in a daze, eating too much cheese and... and not knowing what day it is. It's the, the taint of the year. The Biffin Bridge of the year, if you if you will. See, I quite enjoy it because you just kind of lay around and read books and, and go to lots of movies, mm-hmm. which we have done. Yes. Well, I've read a lot of books. Have you? Yeah. Well, three and a half. <sighs> three and a half books in a week, is that a lot? It depends upon the book. I guess it does. How many books have you read this week? On on par with my usual. Which is zero? <laughs> zero books. This. Well, you've got a new Beyonce book to read. <sighs> yeah. Kids buy presents based upon based upon memory of fond memories of the person. So apparently at least one child is fond of remembering you singing, I'm a single lady. I'm a single lady. I'm a single lady. I'm a single lady. Just like that. I'm a single lady. Apparently, that's that's etched into the memory of yes some poor American children. Yes. Oh well, you knew what you were getting. You're the fun stepdad. <laughs> I just remember them being young and saying, "You're not a lady," <laughs> and then which eventually metamorphosized into, "And you're not single." <laughs> Yes, if that was My the only problem. My kids sticking up for me. <laughs> if that was the only problem with that song. Yeah, but you got you got two presents based upon family sing-alongs this year. Yeah, because you also got the the uh, Skyfall movie poster that's sitting behind you at mm-hmm. the moment. It's actually dwarfing me. <laughs> you need Skyfall. You couldn't get a bigger one. You need cur- that's that's an authentic movie poster yeah. from from the original release, which is going to go where on these walls. It's going to go there. Johnny and Tori are going to move. Oh well, how was your Christmas? And, and Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas and happiest of New Years and Happy Hanukkah and Happy Kwanzaa. It's not quite New Year yet. No, but you know I'm covering my bases because it'll be after New Year the next time we speak to people. It will be. So how was it anyway? Yeah, it's all right. We, we were out east. Yes, we went to Connecticut and my mom was out of power for most of most of the trip and you were sick for most of the trip. So That's what trips back home are all about, <laughs> isn't it? 
<laughs> it's busy taking care of you in the hotel and well you're basically leaving me to my own devices for a day excuse me who bought you theraflu <laughs> and mucinex and then you left me to my own devices for a day which was just what the doctor ordered right yeah so you could sleep and be annoyed by the dog mm-hmm. and i took children to go see puss in boots because the theater was warm and the house was not there's always something it's always something it's always something three generators three generators could not work with the electric wiring in that house Mm -hmm. that tells you something about the electric wiring in that house i'm not sure there is any electric wiring in that house i'm pretty sure every electronic device is operated on willpower alone (laughs) it's an old house it is an old house it's an old farmhouse and yeah so but you know otherwise it was relatively drama free we made it before the blizzard Mm -hmm. and that was nice we were chased by a blizzard we were chased by a blizzard and and it didn't catch us and then we drove through buffalo yeah that was the way back (laughs) and saw the aftermath of said blizzard no i'm sure we have some listeners in buffalo and oh my god if that's typical I don't know how people can manage with that much snow it was falling ref- that quickly. It was referred to as the storm of the century. So, I mean, I know that they've had big, bad storms before, but apparently this was like one of the biggest and baddest they've ever had. We could not find a gas station or a fast food restaurant for me to pee in. No. It was horrible. We just, had to wait just to, to get to, clarify, to the hotel. You're, you're going to pee in the, the toilets of those establishments, <laughs> not just in the middle of the foyer. Correct. Yes. But we, I we almost... that shit to New Year. Right. But I almost peed in a snowbank. If we hadn't made it to the hotel in time, mm-hmm. I would have just said, fuck it. Pull over. I'm peeing in the snowbank. I'm the, going to get a frosty bottom. The weird thing was that once we crossed into Canada, it pretty much all disappeared. Yeah. yeah. It just Canadians. <laughs> they, they know, know how to get the shit done. They know what they're doing in winter. Right. And we got through into Canada... There, there was nobody going into Canada but us on no. the Peace Bridge. It was nice. I had my usual confused complaint about Canada. And we will get to Coronation Street. <laughs> Is get, Remember, we have seven hours I to know, get through. So it'll be very quick. Getting gas in Canada mm-hmm. can be the most confusing experience because I'm standing there at the at the pump. Mm-hmm. And normally you just scan your credit card and it lets you fill, mm-hmm. fill up. And, it, and then it, I guess it charges you a lot ahead of the time and it credits mm-hmm. you back so as soon as you scan your credit card it mm-hmm. charges you 100 bucks and then if you only spend 50 bucks it gives you 50 bucks back mm-hmm. this didn't do it it said how much gas do you want mm-hmm. do you want 10 bucks 20 bucks 40 bucks 60 mm-hmm. bucks and i'm like i have absolutely no idea because right. i'm converting liters to gallons mm-hmm. and canadian dollars to u.s dollars so right. i have no idea if 40 dollars is way too much or mm-hmm. nowhere near enough never as confused as i am trying to buy fuel for the car in canada it's baffling and 40 bucks was nowhere near enough anyway well was it enough to get us home it wasn't i had to stop again oh okay never mind as you have said we have Seven hours of Coronation Street to get through, so I guess we should really jump yeah. to... Six and a half of which I watched yesterday. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear, then? Yes, please. Give us some of that festive Corrie news. 
Corey has a legend as an unexpected fan. This is old Corey news. Well, <laughs> this this happened. It's it, new for us. It's yeah. Well, it's no, it's not, it's not new. really even new for us. But it happened between our episodes. It did. So. No less than Bob Dylan himself has so said. So Bob of Dylan. He watches Coronation Street. The show has since offered him a cameo. We will hold our breath. I wonder if he ever misses Coronation Street and has cause to download a catch-up, an official catch-up Coronation Street podcast. I have a feeling he only watches classic Corey. If I'm honest, <laughs> because he did say something about modern television being bullshit and gross and stupid. Yeah, he did go electric that time though. Mm. Yeah, he has he has some acting credits, so he has acted before. So he currently he's not on Twitter. No, but his presence of, his presence is on Twitter, and he has zero he's following nobody right if bob dylan does listen to this podcast uh-huh. just give us a quick follow at cory podcast on twitter just even even for half an hour and then unfollow again it would just be it'd just be hilarious if followed by millions of people and the one person that he's following is our twitter account yeah, it would it's be hilarious. just basically his promotional team it's not I know. Really him yeah they've got a sense of humor haven't they Maybe they're the promotional team for Bob Dylan. That's jokes are plenty, isn't it? And I love Bob Dylan. <laughs> Mazel tov to Rebecca Ryan, Lydia to those on the cobbles, who announced this week that she is expecting her first child, which means Jack James Ryan, our Jacob, will soon be the world's coolest uncle. He will indeed. He will indeed. Getting early with the I'm a single lady songs. Right. They, they yes. pay dividends in five right, yes. between five and ten years later. Yes. Especially since my uncle John is dead. There's there's the spot is open for the world's coolest uncle. No. And finally, it was a lovely Christmas on the cobbles, but not lovely enough to defeat East Enders in ratings. What? East Enders had a Christmas Day viewership of three point one seven million. Well, Corey only had 2.85 million. And Emmerdale pulled up the rear with 2.56 million. Not like that. Well, maybe a little <laughs> bit like that. And that's Corey News. God, these shows used to get 10, 15, 18 million on Christmas because nobody had anything else to watch or do. Right. And now we have a million things to watch and do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I watch it on Christmas Day? I think I probably did. I don't think so. Oh, no, so. I, didn't. I didn't. You didn't, because Christmas Day, we actually, I actually got you out of the hotel, mm-hmm. and we went and had Chinese food, and then later on, we had Indian food, right. and, and we, t- and t- we watched- Ticking off all the Jewish stereotypes. <laughs> yes. Neither one of us being Jewish. And in between, we watched um, Pointless with my mom <sighs> from 2020. We watched two three episodes old, of that back to back two year, on Christmas Day with two year no old pointless with no finger buffet or anything. There was no no lovely cheese, ham and onion on on plastic swords. I was very disappointed. Let's remember. My mum did not have power for like four days. Did you really want to eat anything out of the fridge? She had she had power on to watch fucking pointless. You don't have to refrigerate pointless. Maybe you should. <laughs> 
and now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Show Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Eccles' old frisbee. Oh, rest in peace, Eccles. Eccles the dog. <laughs> That's owner, right. owner, owner of Ken. <laughs> That's right, this was Peter telling Ken that he'd had more flings than Eccles' old frisbee. Ha <laughs> ha. That's a good line. I was Gavin and you wanted to thank me for being a friend. Travel down that road and back again. We had four and a half hours recorded to talk about, but you went through all the lyrics to the theme to the Golden Girls. Yes, because Betty White had just died. That's right. Yes. We'd bought the biggest TV we'd ever bought in our lives on Boxing Day, and already mm-hmm. it didn't seem that big we'd gone from a 40-inch screen to a 55-inch screen. It just feels like a regular TV now, doesn't it? No, it still feels massive. Do you think so? No, yeah. I think it's just regular. That's because you don't watch it. <laughs> I started 2022 by hitting all the wrong buttons during Corey News. Yes, you did. Done a little bit better this year. Yes. It's a Christmas miracle as a beloved stranger from faraway lands reunites with a loved one on the street. That was Roy coming back from darkest Peru, remember? Yes, but not with Paddington, sadly. A tentative Sam finds his voice and hopes walkie-talkie, but Nick risks undoing this progress by making a big deal of it. Nina mm-hmm. opens up to Ash about the struggle she's been having with her anxiety. Eileen discovers that the Undertaker took suggestions from an old foe regarding her unwanted Christmas gift. This raises its head again this year. Yes, it does, hilariously. After some inflatable Christmas shenanigans, Tyrone learns that Fizz and Phil with two L's' relationship is far more serious than he'd previously thought. Sinkhole Leo returns to the street and with no obvious sinkholes requiring his attention, Jenny is forced to admit to herself that he might be shining a torch for her. Sarah is finding it difficult to put Adam's past flings behind her while he struggles to comprehend why she's so upset. Faye's determined to learn how to drive and ropes Emma into giving her lessons, which eventually leads to a visit to the Weather General and a chance encounter with Curtis. Abby's reunion with the twins brings her short-term joy when she discovers the ease at which Kelly has settled into life on the street. Ken's bells are surplus to requirements. Ed ruins Die Hard and Sally pees like a horse. Our moment of the week. Just like I almost did in a snowbank. Was the Christmas episode. And our boring moment of the week was Kirk playing with his yo-yo. But not like that. And that was Coronation Street. And the talk of the street. This time, uh, last year. Yes, please. <laughs> Seven Keeps hours. Ball rolling. Seven, Seven hours. hours to go through. Now, <laughs> what I've somehow managed to do. What? Is condense. The seven hours of Coronation Street, the notes for which, mm-hmm. to a smaller word count than I usually have for a regular week. Okay. So I'm hoping this isn't going to be too painful for everyone, but we might be just jamming through it at a fair old rate of knots. Right. So insert some of your own, but not like that jokes. Yeah. And if we if we miss one of your favorite bits from Corey, we apologize in advance. I make no such apology. I'll do it for you. We will start by going back to Monday, December the 19th. (laughs) And our first storyline, which is Enter the Daemon. On Monday, we learn a little bit more about Daemon, Jacob's dad. who abandoned his son and his teens to escape his family because, shock and surprise, his brother is Harvey. Yeah, we 
didn't we kind of figure that out already? Everybody's like, oh my God, I can't believe that this is, this is a thing. And it's like, I thought we already, already knew this, that Harvey was Jacob's uncle. Well, I think if we thought that we knew that, we'd have reckoned that Harvey would have taken a little bit more care of Jacob when... I think that was the only reason why Jacob was working for him and why he didn't kill him. Hmm. Jacob reveals that rather than take care of him, Harvey nearly killed him and broke both his legs. He's recovered from that pretty well. Hmm, yes, he can walk. And that's ignoring the drug dealing. Jacob wants nothing to do with his dad, but Damon convinces him and Amy to join him for lunch in the bistro, and Amy is all for a free lunch. Right, because Amy just conveniently happens upon them on the street. In the meantime, he orders a hit on Harvey in prison, and news of this gets back to the bistro very quickly. Jacob overhears Leanne say that Harvey will be moved to a prison far away for his own protection. He accuses Damon of doing this in revenge, but Damon just plays it down, saying, look, this is no big deal. Nobody's shedding any tears for Harvey here. Right, and he had lots of enemies, so... Damon then has a meet with Nick, where he introduces himself and tells Nick that the money Harvey gave him was actually a loan from Damon. What? What? And Damon tells Nick not to worry. But we get the idea that Damon has no intentions of being a silent partner here and Nick should probably definitely worry. Yes. On the Wednesday, and that's confirmed when he's hanging around the bistro and has to be introduced to Leanne, Nick confessing that Damon is an old mate and coincidentally also Jacob's dad. Oh, by the way. Meet my long lost friend Damon here, who, by the way, is Jacob's dad. Yeah, who, and I never mentioned before that I knew his dad. Separately, Damon is of the opinion that working in the knicker factory is beneath Jacob and puts pressure on Nick to take his son on at the bistro working evenings. Which is ridiculous because Jacob is a salesperson at the knicker factory. He's not sewing the knickers. No. He's one of probably one of the highest paid employees there. Carla seems to, uh, you know, be treating him quite well there at the knicker factory you know what she gave jacob a chance on a big order right and it was a big american order yes and you know the size of the underpants that they have over here the size of texas it's a big knicker factory order and she gives jacob a chance to run the sales pitch right and he seems to do a really good job yeah so he's bound to be raking it in on the old commish whereas whereas i don't think he'd be making very much at all at the bistro well, he as a server. Well, he ain't getting no tips, so... No. And plus he's happy at the Knicker right. Factory. Right, yeah, and he he's seemed to thriving. Go f- he seemed to go from not wanting anything to do with his dad to just rolling over and letting his dad do this, even though he said he was quite happy at the Knicker Factory. I blame Amy. Because <laughs> Amy said to him that he should give his dad a second chance and that his dad's trying to reconcile with mm. him. So it's all fucking Amy's fault. God damn it, Amy. God damn it, Amy. This pisses off Carla, who loses her best salesperson ahead of a very important evening deal. Oddly, it doesn't seem to piss off Simon, who was refused a job there days previously. Actually, he was a little pissed off. Was he? He was laughing and joking with Jacob mere moments later. Yeah. And it doesn't piss off Jacob that his dad isn't interfering in his life. And when Leanne finds out, she's even more enraged. She's furious. She is livid. Nick stands his ground, though. He says it's done, so deal with it. On the Friday, Damon... Nick has grown some balls. I know. On Friday, Damon manages 
to conjole Leanne into accepting Jacob working at the bistro, but advises his son to do what he can to get her on, on side. So using 500 quid that Damon gives him, and again, he wanted nothing to do with this. He wanted nothing to do with his dad or this money. Jacob buys Sam a fancy chess set that he claims is a family heirloom that was just gathering dust in the attic, and he buys Amy a fancy handbag for Christmas. Nick sees through it and doesn't appreciate being taken for a mug, even though that's exactly what he's been. We see a glint in Damon's eye that suggests that he may have some other plans up his sleeve for this here bistro. And that's as far as we get with that storyline. Yeah. I'm liking Damon. Yeah, me too. I think. And not just because he's a cutie patootie. This is exactly what we're needing. Yes. I think here, just. We've had like the baddies that have been like too bad. Even the pantomime villains have been too bad. Rave Weinstein and his rapery ways. I mean. Mm -hmm. And Rick the Chin. Yep. Killing people while dusting his rubber plant. Right, but, th- but not like that. <laughs> but this guy seems to be a kind of, almost like a bit of a Jack the Lad right. type of guy. He's he's wanting to be involved in this business, but he's got this side of him that makes him a bit dangerous. And I think that's a kind of interesting little dynamic there that they've just got rid of Debbie right. and her terrible connections to Ray Weinstein mm-hmm. and now it's a kind of out of the frying pan and into the, the fire, fire sort of thing with with this Damon character so he's definitely um, ruffling a few feathers here. Yeah, he's kind of like, he wants Jacob to keep an eye on the place. That's what he says, yeah. His man on the inside working evenings, because I get the impression that he's still going to be at the yeah, factory. Yeah, he's still at the factory during the day and Amy is pissed off about this. And it's like, girl, it's all your fault. Yeah, because she's going to see less of him. Cause... Right, because she's going to be in uni. Mm-hmm. Tracy seems happy. <laughs> well, as long as Tracy seems happy, right? Mm. I'm, I'm not against it at all. I think it's a good move, but I just kind of wish that it'd taken a little bit more time to develop this a little bit more with Jacob because it right. kind of feels a bit rushed. Right, especially since he loves his job at the knicker factory so much. Mm-hmm. And... And he's you good know, at it. The and people Carlo seem to likes love him. him. Right. Yeah. Oh, well. He's just joining a list of an ex- a non-exhaustive or non-exhaustible list of mm-hmm. characters in the street who have more than one job. Right. So he has a place to be during the day in the knicker factory and a place mm-hmm. to be at night right. in the bistro. So, yeah. so they're, getting, they're getting their money's worth out of this guy. All right. Moving on to the next storyline is Mad Max Beyond the Racist Dome. On Monday, this is Monday the 19th, Max asks David for his permission to go off to a racist camping trip, but David refuses. Max, though, knows that David can't stop him, really, and says that he'd expect David would actually want rid of him because he doesn't really want to have the responsibility for Max and anything that he has is purely inherited and no one likes him around here anyway. Which is, none of that is true. And also, why ask for permission if you're just going to say, fuck you, I'm going anyway? Right. And also... Why is David such a pussy? What should he do here? Bring the hammer down, man. Be a dad. I don't think he has any power in this situation. He has said no. He can't physically stop him. He could physically stop him. Do you think? I don't know. Max is taller than he is. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But is he stronger? Shona could kick the fuck out of him, I'm sure. Seriously. But she's pregnant, so. Well, shh. Oh, yeah. 
just enjoying the company of cushions at the moment. Right. Yeah. It, you could be like, well, okay, then if that's if that's how you feel about it, then I'm not paying for your phone anymore. Or so, and then he won't be able to communicate with these guys anymore if nobody's paying for his phone. And then he has to get a job, which he should have anyway, because everybody else his age on the street <laughs> has a job. Right. Simon managed to lose a job that no one knew he had. Right. At the Racist HQ, Max learns that the trip is a boys-only event, so Racist Kelly won't be joining them. And we also learn that the mysterious benefactor for the Racist group is none other than P. Gate Len. I was really hoping for ITV Stefan, but I guess P. Gate Len makes a bit more sense. Right, yeah, because he's been he's been around recently. Yep. Yeah, and and now we know why he was so... Auntie Maria. Bitchy to Maria about calling it a winter festival as opposed to a Christmas festival because, you know, he's a snowflake. Yeah, when he asks, what's in this for me when Griff's begging him for money, uh-huh. Griff's like the far right group will swing local politics in his favour for a generation. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen, but mwahahaha, anyway. Right, yeah. And also, how much longer does Griff think that P. Gatelin is going to live for right. another generation? Mm. I don't think so. Apologise for snorting there. <laughs> On Wednesday the 21st, while Toya learns about the camping trip from Shona, and this is, was another thing that led me to believe that Griff was a nonce. And when I put the um, the question to Twitter, I think it was it was like 75 or 80% in agreement mm-hmm. that Griff was a nonce because after all this and going on the camping trip, I was like, you know what? This is just pushing it ever closer to what I thought was going to happen. Now, I... Voted without fully remembering what knots means. So I'm wondering if other people are like me and don't know what knots means and think it means just, you know, an idiot. I think anyone as opposed who's to a perv. Kept up with the Prince Andrew stuff. Right. Knows yeah. What nonce is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I should have remembered. Mm-hmm. Apparently, your, your there's vote a, made no difference in the overall right, outcome. Yeah. I'm mean, no. Only this camping trip thing. Toya learns about it from Shona. And the camping trip is going to be in a local park by the looks of things. Max is realising that the group are actually a bit of a bunch of pricks because they tease him about his dead mum. They force him to skin a rabbit when he can't. They take the piss out of him about uh, going over on his ankle and he doesn't look like he's having the best of times. And Griff looks like he's actually treating him like an arsehole, like he's treating everyone else. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And when he answers back to people, Griff's like, there's a chain of command here and you're at the bottom. Right. So it's all very much a very different situation when they're outside a racist HQ. Right. And, and out in the land. Yeah. They should have invited Glenn Close along. Well, she knows how to boil a rabbit. I don't know if she knows how to skin one, does she? <laughs> so they're about to drive off to another bit in the park when Max is going to throw his jacket into the boot of the car, but he notices there's a bomb in it. What? There's the bomb! Racists have to have bombs. So stupid. And, and a, they and they and they carry them around in the back of their car for no reason. Wrapped in blankets. Right. And as they're driving off, it goes off, much what? to the surprise of Spider and the other racists who are further surprised when the car has no visible damage despite a bomb detonating in the boot. Max is knocked unconscious, so he's rushed off to the hospital. How 
he blown out of that car? I don't think he was. I think they dragged him out of the car. We just don't see that part. But either way, a, a, a he's, car he's has exploded. quite far away from that car. That has no damage on it. Well, it, except the for the trunk. Well, you don't even see that. Well, you kind of see the trunk open and like smoke pluming from it. But isn't that kind of, I don't know anything about cars, but I kind of think that the petrol tank is somewhere near there. I just don't, I don't think you'd get away with having a bomb go off in your boot without anyone catastrophe happening. Right. Yeah. That's a shitty bomb. <laughs> they are very bad terrorists. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Griff pretends to be Max's dad in the hospital when he comes round. How does he get away with that? How does he get away with that? Don't you have to show identification? No, I wouldn't have thought so. Don't you, don't you have to show his, like, NHS card to, no. to get treatment? Nah. nah. Name and date of birth will do it. You don't carry about your NHS card. You don't. I don't know if you have an NHS card. I never had one. You don't have to give your NHS number? No. Nothing like that? I, I never had to tell anybody anything. You don't have to show identification proving that you are who you say you are? No. What kind of country are you guys running? Do you know what? And nobody asked me for a credit card either. Well, yeah, that mm. I understand. Mm. Mm. <laughs> anyway, Griff tells him to keep his mouth shut. I think. Especially since it's suspicious, because the nurse is very suspicious of this. The nurse is the most suspicious person in the storyline. Yeah. Because they try and say that's a camper gas uh, canister that's uh-huh. gone off, and she's like, this doesn't look like that to me. No. Presumably, she sees this shit all the time. One would assume. Spider is disillusioned when he reports this back to his handler and they refuse to get Max to safety. So when Toya confronts him in the alley of doom, he comes clean to her about being an undercover cop out to take out Griff and his racist gang. Finally! And then she doesn't believe him. Well, would you? No. (laughs) He's so ill-equipped to be an undercover cop. He does, however, he's sporting necklace of the week again. Yes, On Friday yes, the 23rd, yes. <coughs> Spider tells Toya about how he joined the police because someone he knew died during a protest in South America or something. And he tells her about Griff and Max exploding and she wants to tell David, but he talks her out of it because that'll blow everyone's cover. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Max is grilled by the police and also treated harshly by Griff who blames him for the explosion and Griff makes a oink-oink noise to the cops and I just like, arrest that man now. Seriously, yeah. And... Just the gaslighting of Max. I thought Max finally got it at this point. He looks at so many points during the storyline that he is getting it. Right. And yet. (laughs) And yet. Back in the street, Spider tells Max that family and the people who love him are the most important at this time of year. So Max tells David about the hospital visit, but plays down what happened, going with the old camper stove excuse. Right, yeah. Meanwhile, despite Spider telling Toya that he can't protect her from Griff and the racist gang, she decides that he's worth the risk and they're better being scared together rather than alone, which I thought was a lovely line. Mm. Stupid, but lovely. <clears throat> yeah. And this takes us to Christmas Day. And there's the usual... Dumb. It's so... It's it's so dumb, it's brilliant. No, it's just dumb. <laughs> On Christmas Day, there's a usual montage scene that we get at the start with some uh, mm. jaunty Christmas music. Yes. We see everyone opening their presents across the street. Yes. And things to note Except for the me Billy's were, house. 
in the quad house, everyone was wearing the same festive onesie, which must have cost an absolute fortune. And one quad is missing. I didn't count them. All there were fif- only three visible. The other 57 were off screen. There was no Billy on Christmas Day, no. even though there is a wedding coming up. Right. And there was no Summer, even though it's Christmas and no one knew where she was. You'd think that would be a story. Right. I mean, I don't you mind not having Summer at Christmas. But what about poor Billy? And wouldn't it, wouldn't it make sense to give Billy the job of the stupid fucking wedding? What the hell? Why won't they let this man do his job? Why? The guy in Emmerdale does it all the time. Right. <laughs> That's why you have a character who's a... And sometimes they actually make the storyline something a little bit churchy. What? They do. Churchy? And not with, like, crazy weirdo Christians who want to steal your baby? Not exclusively. Hmm. Anyway, getting back to the Max storyline, the Platts are having another go at having Christmas dinner at the Bistro. (laughs) (laughs) It's still awful, but it's going reasonably well, except everyone is disappointed in the prezzies that Stephen has got folk. Max is thrilled when David and Sean have got him a fancy bit of video on Edden Suite software type stuff. Right, that Lily uh, chipped in for as well. Yep. The high spirits don't last though, as David can't resist having a go at Max about his racist mates. And Toya, who no one invited. She's there because she's Leanne's sister. Doesn't waste any time. And she has no other family. Joining in. So Max tells them to fuck their Christmas right up their arse. Right up up their their arse. And he goes off to Griff's. Well, at least I never got shot in the stomach and ended up with brain damage this year, says Shona. That was hilarious. He announces that he has big, if somewhat vague, plans for the new year. Yikes. On Boxing Day, Max is planning a lovely day with racist Kelly at the Christmas market until Griff shows up demanding more viral videos. And as he's dragging Max away, David appears and bans Max... More viral videos! That's a whip sound. (laughs) And bans Max from going with Griff and from using his fancy new Edent suite for racist purposes. Max tells David he hates him and goes off with Griff. And at home, Max comes back, but it's just to pack... And he's moving in with Griff, and he tells David that he's not his dad. You're not my dad. After forgetting Max is 16 and contemplating reporting Griff for kidnapping, David goes to Racism HQ himself to make an emotional plea to Max. You may not think of me as your dad, but you'll always be my son, he says. Mm -hmm. But it cuts no cheese. Griff kind of laughs, and David leaves. I may not be your father, but I am your daddy. (laughs) That's stupid. (laughs) It's so brilliant. Stupid, it's brilliant. No, it's just stupid. I don't know why they insisted on putting in a little bit where David kind of forgets that Max is 16. I think it's just desperate. But also, I mean, 16 is far too young to just be allowed to just go and move wherever you want without your parents' permission. I mean, that prefrontal cortex is not fully formed yet. Especially not Max. Oh, God, no. I don't know. There's got to be a way. The the parents on the street have got to come together and figure out a way on how to discipline their children because they're all just running amok from Hope to Max to Summer. You know, they're all just running around doing their own shit and being stupid about it. Ruby's well-behaved. Yes, and Lily. You, Ruby. And Lily. Lily's got a bit of a cheek on her. 
Right, but she's obedient. I don't know. I think when you're trying to... And Sam's good. When you're trying to do the storyline of David lamenting mm-hmm. the loss of his more or less adoptive son. Uh-huh. I don't think he did get round to adopting them. They were talking about uh, it, but I don't think they ever got round to it. No, but he's already adopted him. It was Shona who oh, was Shona, going to adopt right. him and Lily. But then you kind of undo that a little bit by Shona knowing that he's 16 and and David actually saying it loud, is he? Oh, yeah, he's 16. Well, I, I think it's just he's a just, weird, stupid yeah, thing to say. It, it just... But there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way... To still discipline your children, especially if they're living under your roof or you're paying their bills. Max is not paying his own phone bill. No. So David must be. Turn that kid's phone off. Well, then I think just Griff will pay it. Or P-Gate Len. Yeah, but David doesn't know that. And it's at least something. And it seems like P-Gate Len doesn't really want to shed any more money into this operation. No, he was a bit reticent. Yeah. Didn't think it was the bank of Pigate Lane. No. Anyway, on Wednesday the 28th, Spider tells Toya about Max moving in with Griff. So Toya tries to warn David without blowing Spider's cover, which is pretty impossible. All she can do is say, this Griff is bad news. You need to keep Max away from him. And David's like, tell me something I don't know, sister. Right, yeah. Meanwhile, Griff has bigger plans for Max than just racist video editing and is now teaching him racist self-defense with a marker pen. And that's as far as we get with that storyline over the last couple of weeks. Now, Kelly. Racist Kelly. No. Kelly the Chin. Real Ke- Yes, Kelly the Chin. When she was 16 and she didn't have a guardian, they put her in that awful home for misguided teenagers. Yeah. So 16-year-olds can't really make their own decisions about where they live then. Well, you can leave home. But you have to be living somewhere. You have to have a guardian of some sort. I don't know. It just, it, it feels like there's there's one rule for some 16-year-olds in the show and then conveniently other rules for other 16-year-olds well, in the show. Well, that wouldn't surprise me. You can get married at 16, so... So gross. And you can join the army. At 16? I think so, yeah. I remember a guy coming to my high school when I was 15, 16, trying to get people to sign up. It's 18 here. And even oh, that seems that. kind of young. Mm. I don't think they get active service. I don't think anyone's shooting at you at sixteen, but you can you can join the you can join the army. I think would not. Put oh, a you six- used to be able to. So yeah, so we had things exploding, right? And now I think this bomb is was a kind of dummy run for something. Griff was saying they were going to blow up some haystacks. You don't mm-hmm. have an improvised explosive device to blow up a haystack. Mm-hmm. And Spider come, came close to blowing his cover a couple of times, knowing that it was a farmer who reported it. Mm-hmm. And then saying, well, it had to be somebody because we were... Right, we like were, a farmer or we a hiker. We were out in the... Yeah. Was, like a, a, public, a public park is what it looked like to me. But, um, but yeah. Probably somewhere where it was illegal to hunt rabbits. Sure. but And set traps. Right. But yeah, again... Yeah, setting traps alone is probably illegal. Spider looks like he's he's losing his cool here. He and, really is. And I think I think, I think think there are suspicions within the racist gang that he's not quite everything that he seems to be. Right. I just hope this is coming. I mean, on one 
one hand, I'm hoping it's coming to an end because it's still kind of uncomfortable to watch, and especially when they're they have to keep on up in the ante a little bit here of how racist Griff is, and right? And yet they're not, mm. and yet they're not. They're making him more, you know, barky and stuff at Max and and a bomb, but he's not. I mean, he was relatively tame with Alia when he bumped into her in the market mm-hmm. and started recording her. And she just kind of she just ran away. Right. You know, and he hasn't really been saying anything necessarily that racist. It's more like we have to go out and learn how to be self-sufficient and do manly things like skin rabbits. Which I don't believe any of those men know how to skin a rabbit. I think Spider was very wise to not eat that shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you want them to take their time, I guess, on a on a storyline like this where you're talking about the the grooming and potential radicalization of not really a, a vulnerable youth, but I guess a, a youth that has issues. Right. And that's not something that I think is at zero on day one mm-hmm. and at a hundred on day two. Right. So it, they have to take their time and doing it, and that that side of it feels a little bit rushed. I think because he's very quickly gone into the arms of this this man that he barely knew like a couple of months ago, right? And and he keeps flip flopping between being unsure and unsettled around this guy to every time his dad says something he doesn't like, he's running back off to this guy and saying, this guy loves me and this guy understands me when he clearly doesn't and clearly treats him like garbage. And I don't understand what's in it for P. Gate Len. Why why is he backing this terrorist group? For the political landscape to be in his favor for a generation. That doesn't make any sense. It's making people more right-wing. To bomb... The community? Well, I think as far as P. Get Lane's concerned, it's all about the viral videos. That was hilarious as well. Just to kind of, as if you can order something like that. Right. On spec. I'll right. have six viral videos, please, Max. Yes. What? Right. Well, we know they don't seem to really understand. I do think something's getting blown up for reals. More than a car? In the new year. And I'm still... I'm still doubling down on the whole Griff is a nonce thing. And that that whole thing with the car is absolutely ridiculous too. The way the cops were like, well, it was, we couldn't find any fingerprints on it, which is suspicious right there that you search a car and there's not a single fingerprint inside. So I guess it's not so, registered to someone. So it's know. been wiped. Those guys don't know how to, no, it's, yeah, they're like, no. there are no fingerprints inside, which means that it's been wiped down completely, which I don't think they had time for. And also there was no evidence of an explosive, which means it didn't blow the trunk up and burn Max and there's no burning inside the car. That doesn't make any sense. The, Why the fire this- went off behind them. If anything's going to get burnt, it'd be his back. Not, not his forearms. Uh, the whole thing was kind of laughable. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I, I, and I wished that they hadn't done it. Me too. All right, moving on. The next storyline is So Fucking Joke. On Monday the 19th, after last year's debacle where George bought Eileen a funeral package, 
quite a good funeral package by all accounts. Yes. He's pushing the boat out this year and getting her a Chesterfield couch instead. Which I still didn't think was a Eileen sort of present, but anyway, yeah, that, that's what George seemed, was going by. It seemed a bit too fancy for Eileen's front room. Now, given that it's Monday the 19th and he's, he's ordering this yeah. sofa for Christmas mm-hmm. in six days' time, mm-hmm. and it was going to get delivered on Christmas Eve. Right. George, an adult, uh-huh. an adult human, Yes. no alarm bells are ringing about this. And also, I guess the price of it, probably was on the low end for a Chesterfield. Yes. And Not also, knowing what we know, but, but th- that we don't know at this point. Right. Even the the timeline for getting a couch. Yeah, it's very difficult months. right now because it's, of because of the supply chain and, and the economy and, and lots of other things. But I don't want to detract from the fact that I found most of this pretty funny. Hmm. On Wednesday the 21st, Dentist Lawrence comes round to Eileen's and finds it difficult to find a comfy spot on the sofa. He knows people in the furniture trade and offers to ask around for Eileen. George leaps into action to piss all over those plans and later comes clean to Sean about his top secret present for Eileen. He arranges with the gang to get rid of the old sofa when he persuades Eileen round to his house for a change. His house gets a mention. Right, yeah. Why aren't you guys always there? And they're going to let everyone else take care of Christmas. Eileen just has to sit back and enjoy it. Yes. I bet you said that before. Mm -hmm. On Friday the 23rd, so George is trying to keep Eileen from the house while everyone else gets rid of the old couch so that the new couch can fit. Mm -hmm. But Eileen is so suspicious that George has to tell her that her present is arriving and it's too big to hide. Aye. Uh This gets Eileen all excited for Christmas, but later, when when the couch arrives, we discover that it's from a company called Gulliver's. Nice touch. And the sofa is, in fact, made for a doll's house. Which explains the rapid delivery date, but doesn't explain the price. What the actual fuck, says George, correctly predicting that Eileen is going to kill him. Now, most people know that I am in the resale business and and sell vintage things like... I don't know if anybody knows that. I've, I've mentioned it here before. Yes. Like, and I, and I occasionally sell things like vintage doll furniture... And things of that sort. And I have heard tell from other resellers in groups that I belong to that this does indeed happen quite a lot. Oh, really? That people buy, people do not read the description, do not read the the size and think that they're getting a great deal on shipping <laughs> because it's like something like four ninety five. And then are upset when they get doll furniture. And I blame places like Amazon and Wayfair, which give you free shipping. So people just assume that everybody can give them free shipping. This has not happened to me with furniture. But one time, um, you know, Dr. Doolittle, (laughs) not personally, but you know that the llama that has to push me, pull you. I once had a plush push me pull you on for sale in in one of my shops. And in the description I said it's a two-headed llama, so it has two heads and four feet. I sold it to a woman who th- read the description and thought that it meant that this push me pull you was 4 feet tall. <laughs> and was very upset when it was not 4 feet tall, when it was like a foot tall. If that and you know, got very upset. But the 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 platform that I sell on, they said 
the description does not say that it's four feet tall. You cannot return this item. And I still got to keep the money, which is nice. But it was like the most ridiculous list thing ever. She's like, this was meant to be a decoration for a birthday party. What am I supposed to do with this now? Shove up your arse then. That's what you can do with it. (laughs) Right. Up your arse. We've done that already. But, you know, this is like one of the most believable things that happened on the street this week. It happens in real life, believe it or not. Do they also just leave the package at the door, ring the bell and run away? I think that happens as well, doesn't it? <laughs> well, the postman drops it off, so they don't typically ring the bell, do they? Christmas Day. After the fuss about Lauren spending Christmas at Eileen's, Lawrence isn't spending Christmas at Eileen's, and neither is Eileen. With Eileen staying at George's, the gang come up with a novel idea for her new sofa gift, but chucking... By chucking a bedspread over the coffin George got her for the previous year. And filling it with cushions. And strapping the cushions in for some reason. Mary is very impressed with the craftsmanship. She still doesn't think this was a great gift and refuses to spend Christmas contemplating her own mortality, which Mary admits is how she spends most Christmas days. That was a fucking belter of willing as well. But fear not, because Jason comes through with a gift to outshine them all. He's got Eileen a ticket to visit him in Thailand on her own for a month, conveniently when I'm a celebrity was on. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jason. Mm-hmm. So on Boxing Day, Lawrence comes round with apologies and presents. He wants to go out for a brisk walk in the Peak District, but then acts all shady when he gets a text from who he claims is his folks. After more suspicious texts, Lawrence claims he's booked him a hotel in the Peaks, so the two of them and Dylan head off for that. Meanwhile, George and Eileen have been sofa shopping, and then Eileen just fucks off to Thailand. Yes. Bye, Eileen. Yeah, and for all of the sofa shopping, they end up with a love seat. It's no, not... it's just a two-seater. Yeah, a love seat. For a house that has a million people in it, they get a two-seater sofa. Right, love seat. And it's not even... It's not even as big as the thing that they had before. And it's not as nice looking. It's just dull and gray. Hmm. Whereas before it was like this had these pretty red swirls on it and wooden feet and everything. At least the coffin was a conversation starter. And a conversation ender. <laughs> remember remember when I went to an estate sale and there was a coffin in the basement? And I, and I tried no, to... No, because I think this is your memory. And I tried to, and I texted you a picture of it and said, I'm thinking of buying this. Yeah, you're funny sometimes. <laughs> oh, on Wednesday the 28th, Sean and Lawrence have had a rare old time at the Peak District. Todd is grumpier than usual, so privately Lawrence has a word with him asking what his problem is. Lawrence is determined to make Todd like him, which works a bit too well when a little later on, after some vino, Todd leans in for a kiss and it absolutely was not appreciated. No. Todd accuses Lawrence of coming on to him too, but Lawrence is having none of it. Now, the two of them were having a bit of chat together. Right, yeah, and banter and stuff. Right. Lawrence says he's not a cheater and Sean warned him about Todd. And at dinner later, Lawrence is distracted, so admits to Sean what happened. Sean is furious and tells Todd to stay the fuck away from him and his fella. Billy and George, who are also there, are very disappointed. Up to your old tricks again, says Billy. Mm-hmm. Which kind of draws attention to the fact, again, that we never saw Billy actually forgive Todd. Right, yes. And what is Billy doing there? <laughs> right. What's Billy doing there? What are you doing there, Billy? <laughs> Billy, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, Billy? <laughs> You're going to do the whole thing? 
<laughs> Something else we've got to get through here. You've been hit by. Oh yeah, I'm going to go struck by a smooth criminal Archdeacon. named Todd. No, on, Todd is the smooth criminal. On Thursday the 29th, Todd apologises to Sean but gets a bowl of cornflakes thrown at him for his troubles. That was great. Todd says Lawrence was as much to blame. Sean storms out and meets Lawrence at Nina's Rolls, who reveals it's the anniversary of his ex-wife's death today, which is why he called off on Christmas, which doesn't really make any sense. Sean asks how she died. Suddenly, says Lawrence. Right. <laughs> He goes to Preston's Petals for some flowers and mentions to Mary to send them to his ex-in-laws, the Van Cleefs. The Van Cleefs, you say, of the Southampton Van Cleefs. Lee Van Cleef is what I thought of. And also the cleft that you get in your chin. Mary is explaining her journey to the Van Cleefs to deliver. Uh, who seemed to live at Stephen King's house by the description, to Rita in the pub later. Remember when we went to Stephen King's house? I think that's why I, I know what it looks like, so I can make that. Yeah, it was It was like two years ago yesterday. Three years ago yesterday. It wasn't the 2020, because oh, no, yeah. there was a little thing called COVID happening at that point. Right. Lovely house. Yes. We, could, we could almost afford to buy the house across the street from it. Yes. So anyway. Colin's old house. Rita says that uh, the Van Cleef used to be magazine publishers like ITV Stefan. Maybe ITV Stefan is a Van Cleef. And she heard that the daughter died in an accident abroad or something. Mm. Todd is there and overhears all this. So on Friday today, on the 30th, Todd's been doing some digging on Lawrence's dead wife. But not like that. But not like that. George knows that she died in a hiking accident in Switzerland. I wonder how Todd is choosing to misinterpret this. That was hilarious as well. Yes. Todd just thinks that Lawrence's reluctance to talk about his wife's mysterious death is somehow suspicious. So Todd goes to the rovers and tells Sean about it, accusing Lawrence of killing his wife because of gay. Sean doesn't care, calls Todd jealous and a relationship destroyer. You're toxic. Later, Lawrence goes to Eileen's <sighs> to speak with Todd, telling him his late wife's passing is no one's fucking business but his own. And Todd is now out. Of the Ring of Trust. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that. Yes. Over the last couple of weeks. Now, what do you think happened to Lawrence's wife? Well. In the skiing accident with Sonny Bono. <laughs> Tried to think who else died in the skiing accident. No, just Sonny Bono. Oh. Who um, else was there? Nobody. He was on his own? Yeah. That's, which that's is your probably mistake, your, it, right? your first mistake. Didn't he hit a tree or something? Wasn't that Scooby-Doo? <laughs> Scooby-Doo lived! Yeah, because his one ski went on one side of the tree and the other ski went on the other side of the tree somehow. No, remember and then he, he had... looks back at the tree and goes... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Doesn't he have four skis? He's got four feet. I think he was pretending to be a lady at that point. <laughs> Neil Scooby pretends to be a lady quite a bit. Yes, he does. He's, he's like Bugs Buddy that way. But I anyway. can't remember. Does that answer your question? No. How do you think? Because... Lawrence does not want to talk about it. And I can kind of understand that because it's it's a death. and Right, and what he says to Todd later as well, you know, Todd's got his little secret right. of loss when he, he lost his baby with Sarah. So right. when you have a new partner, is that the first thing you tell them? Todd? Right. And Todd's like, yeah, but they didn't, the, the My, son didn't die in a skiing accident. I know people die in skiing accidents. Yeah, all the time. Just ask Sonny Bono. <laughs> and... Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. If, if 
I'm wondering. I'm. I'm one. My my thoughts on this is. Oh, okay. Is that while they were on the ski trip, that's when Lawrence confessed to his wife that he is gay and asked for a divorce or asked for a separation. And she got upset and skied down the hill. And because she was so upset, wasn't paying attention to where she was going. And that's why she had the accident. That would make your goggles fog up right enough. Right. Yeah. And yeah, be crying and all that shit. But... And that's why Lawrence kind of feels guilt-ridden and everything about it without actually having, you know, killed her himself. Because I don't think Lawrence killed her. No. He doesn't seem like a killer. Then again, Gary didn't seem like a killer either. He had that haircut. And he did punch David to fuck. He did kill somebody. (laughs) No, but before he killed somebody. Yeah. I guess he is ex-military, so he probably killed somebody before that. Didn't we learn that Lindsay was his ex-wife, though? I kind of got the impression they'd already divorced. Or was her death what made her become his ex-wife? Yeah. He doesn't say ex. Is that ex. how you describe your... He doesn't say ex. He says... Your widow. My my wife. He says my wife. And that... You my wife. And remember Todd's like, oh, you're married? It's like, well, no, she's dead. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I don't think that they were that they were divorced. That feels a little bit simple for Coronation Street. Sometimes simple is best, though. Yeah, but sometimes it's not what they go for. Something yeah. a little bit more convoluted. <clears throat> it does sound like and, he's he's hiding something, obviously, and maybe that something is guilt. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he never did get a chance to tell her he was gay, and so he feels guilty about that. There's right. lots of things for Lawrence to feel guilty about in his first marriage. So, but, and it is also none of Todd's fucking business, one way or the other. And Todd is just being so weird here. Mm-hmm. First of all, trying to you know stick his tongue down Lawrence's throat, and then, and then when that doesn't work, getting all suspicious and trying to break him and Sean up. It's- typical todd though he doesn't get the thing that he wants so his plan b is right. to destroy the thing that and it fucking sucks because this is this is where todd shines is in this house where he can just be a normal person and just kind of be funny mm. and you know do shady things like trying to sell people you know funerals when he finds out that people's people are terminally ill Right, mm. that sort of thing and stuff. I with do the appreciate Undertaker. though that that he's not stealing Lawrence away from Sean because that's usually how that would have right. played out. That they would end up having he, a kind of secret relationship or slide kind of thing. He tried. Yeah, but it, it, it failed, failed, which is nice and is unusual, and I'm glad that it failed. Yeah, me too. I, I, I don't know. Sean's been growing me recently. Yeah, the Lawrence. Lawrence and Gina even him out, which is nice. Glenda. Glenda. I said Gina, didn't I? Yeah. I presume you meant Gina Davis. I did. Yeah. <laughs> another another blousy redhead. As opposed to Gina from Coronation Street. Who I don't know. Sa- Sally's sister. You do know Gina. Oh, yeah. But that's a different kind of Gina, isn't it? Doesn't she spell it different? Doesn't she spell it with a J instead of a G? No. That, that would be Gina. <laughs> or Jenna. 
or Gemma. Or Vajayjay. <laughs> it was just so sudden. Eileen's departure, though. Yeah. On and, Christmas and, Day! And if she hadn't checked her tablet, she would never have known. Right, yeah. She checked the tablet, found the email, left the next day. Right. <laughs> Jason can't pick up a phone and say, hey, I'm going to buy you a ticket to come visit me for Christmas? Mm-hmm. You would think that one would do that before and confirm that the person is available before throwing so much money onto it. This is something that uh, Gail and Eileen have in common. Thailand. Why, why can those two just not make it up and, and get along? Yeah, one would one would hope. So many people giving people things on the yeah, street. Christmas. You know, that they didn't ask for and yeah, you know, Christmas. And messes with other people's plans. Yeah, it's Christmas. There you go. Our next storyline is Daniel's cancer scare. <laughs> Well done. Thank you. Well done. On Monday the 19th, Daisy and Max are avoid Max? Max? Max isn't in this storyline. No, he's not. I presume I mean Daisy and Daniel are avoiding each other. Yes. Adam goes to visit Daniel and ends up seeing the article that he wrote, Love After Loss, which is 33% trite, 33% cloyingly sentimental half-truths, and 33% written by Edgar Allan Poe. And 0%... <laughs> Mentioning Nikki of the sex cardigan. No mention of a sex cardigan. No. That's, that's the title. Sex cardigan. That'd get published. <laughs> now, I did take a screen grab of this because obviously. Yes. And the lower third of that article uh-huh. is The Raven. Is it? Yes. That's why I said Edgar Allan Poe. Seriously? Once upon a, a midnight jury, uh-huh. while I sitting weak and weary, that's on the screen. So they couldn't got, even uh, they couldn't even like use a Christmas poem. No, it's the Raven for no reason. No reason. <laughs> and just filling up space. And then there's spelling mistakes in it, and there's terrible grammar. This is JK 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 JK. Right. Anyway, Adam sends it to Daisy, who is moved to tears, supposedly by its beauty, and the bit where he says she Never helped more. Him put his life back together again. But she tells Daniel that this doesn't change anything. She still needs a man, not a boy, and not an asshole boy. But he pleads with her, telling her that he won't walk away. He's in it for the long haul. Daisy doesn't want no scrubs. And she relents, as we knew she would. And when she goes back to work, we see that he has an engagement ring. Probably Sinead's. What the fuck? What the fuck? On the 22nd, we find ourselves at the hospital. What? It's not the last time we'll use that today. An anxious Daisy and a particularly anxious Daniel go to the hospital where the doctor tells Daniel that the lump in his girlfriend's breast is merely a cyst. Oh, thank God for that, says Daniel, and Daisy apologises for putting him through all that. Back at the Rovers, this puts Daisy in a reflective mood, and she suggests that Daniel goes back to teaching or really do something. Anything. Daniel gets more bad news when his article is rejected because Uh of the whole Edgar Allan Poe plagiarism (laughs) thing. Yes. There's like a very, very, very brief scene in this where Daisy talks about how uncomfortable the mammogram was that she had to have. 
and it's nowhere near as she's so mild about it so very mild about having having her breasts smushed between two plates that she has to lean into and then stand on her tippy toes when it angles over to take the picture I, I wish shows were more blunt about the shit women have to go through I, in these situations I kind of get the impression that she's not saying what it was really like because Daniel doesn't give a fuck isn't she talking to Jenny though? Was she? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. remember that happening. Yeah. Cause what else did she have to have? She had it to have a mammogram and a CAT scan. I think it was a CAT scan. Yeah. Or yeah, a CAT scan is nothing. The one thing that donut. I'm worried about though is that the doctor seemed a bit in a rush. Well, he tries to slow it down. He tries to say, "Hi, how are you? How are you doing today?" And Daisy's like, "Just cut to the chase." It's Give me the straight poop. See? Do I have cancer or not? Yeah. Yeah, give it to me straight like a pear cider that's made from 100% pears. Sure. Don't think James Cagney ever said that. Didn't he? (laughs) Is that from an actual ad? Yeah. That's so weird. Give it to me straight. Like a pear cider that's made from 100% pears. Like this cider right here mm-hmm. called, what was it called? Magnus. I think it was a Magnus. Yeah. A Magnus pear cider. I do like a Strongbow. Or it did like Strongbow when I wasn't sober. Yeah. Anyway. Good, good news for Daniel. Yes, yeah, good news for Daniel. On Friday the 23rd, Daniel hides engagement ring with Daisy's £20 present under the tree at number one, then helps Steve put decorations on the scaffolding, much to Aggie's disapproval. When the family comes back, they discover that they've been burgled, but all that's been taken... Wait, wait, a- where did they go? Where did they go? You tell me, because you say he, they put the sca- the lights on the scaffolding, and then you say, would they come back? Oh, but they're they were, right, like, they right they outside. The, they went to the pub or something. They went to the Christmas market to walk around and look at things. Okay, so when they come back from that, yes. that was well worth wasting 30 seconds on... Well, you made it seem like they, they just, discovered that they've been they burgled. come back from the scaffolding. Well, effectively, <laughs> all that's been taken is the Christmas presents and Sinead's engagement ring. Daisy is relieved that they only spent 20 quid on each other. And later in the pub, Aggie gives them some presents from their tree on the proviso that they get rid of those fucking decorations before she tears the scaffolding down herself. Right. And, and Daisy has not been able to acquire a new neutron man for Bertie, a child who probably... Has no idea what that is. Right. And we just play with the boxes. Right. On Christmas Day, it's Christmas morn, and if Daniel wasn't enough of an asshole, he starts by quoting poetry. He reveals to Jenny that the ring got nicked, so she lets this slip to Ken, and later, in the pub, during a reception for a wedding in another storyline, Ken gets Daisy and Daniel to pull a cracker, which holds, but not a, like that. Which holds a special secret ring but from, not like that. from a somewhere distant aunt. But not like that. How Ken got it, no one asks. <laughs> but not and like Daniel that. goes down on one knee. Propos- but not like that. Stop it. <laughs> Daniel gets down on one knee, proposes, and Daisy accepts, kinda, by saying, well, it's Christmas, so I can't say no. She doesn't actually say yes, does she? Back home, <sighs> and on the version of Instagram that Corey has, your pics or something like that, one of Daisy's followers, this charming man, 
posts that the ring is beautiful, just like Daisy. Morrissey really has a thing for Daisy. Daisy could not be happier, and Daniel is so happy, he keeps dropping his H's. <laughs> On Boxing Day, Daisy, let's remember from back when she was unlikable, she's an influencer, so her posts have apparently led to lots of offers from companies to promote their products with her. She and Mary strike up a deal to promote Preston's petals. Daniel is unconvinced and calls it all fake, which Daisy reacts badly Haven't to. Haven't we done this storyline already? Once or twice. He goes to Nina Rose to complain about this to Carla, and Amy comes in to tell Daniel what a fucking asshole he's been when Daisy is doing all this to fund her wedding. Plus, she's running a campaign for boob checking. And later, Preston's <laughs> petals is already feeling the boost from Daisy's followers because... Personal. Because sure... Personal breast exams, and, not boob checking. And Daniel comes in to apologise and agrees to a selfie. And as she's taking it, we see that this charming man has been responding again. I, I guess we're going somewhere with this. Right, yeah. Like in a cyber stock. They couldn't get Bob Dylan, so Morrissey is having a cameo on the screen. Right. That's just a shame I'm not wearing my official boob checker t-shirt. <laughs> so gross. And that's as far as we get with that. Now. Is it too soon for them to get engaged? Especially since they've been on again, off again, on and again, off again. Well, and, you know, the trauma of Sinead's death and shit. And, and Daniel's utter abandonment offer when, right. when he really needed to be there. That's kind of been, been part because we're giving Daniel all the... The passes in the world. Right. And also he has no job. And hasn't for some time. Right. And yet is giving her grief for earning an extra income. Why is that child passed from pillar to post so much when he doesn't have a job? Why isn't he looking after his own kid? It's not as if he has to rely on childcare here for Dawson on the couch. Because he's a dick. Writing articles that nobody wants. Stealing from long dead 18th century poets. Right. Because he's a dick. 19th century. 19th century. Yeah, 19th, 19th century. 19th century. I remember when me and my first girlfriend, well, not my first girlfriend, me and my first proper girlfriend right. got engaged uh-huh. round about end of November. Mm-hmm. So we had an engagement party that also doubled as a, a Christmas, Christmas party. party. And at the Christmas party, someone else proposed to someone else. Uh-huh. And my girlfriend slash fiance at the time mm-hmm. lost her shit about that. Yeah. Yeah. As she should. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. And this, that's going on here. Well, no, this is got, even worse. This is well, even sure, worse. Right. This That's, is a wedding reception. Right. They got engaged at a wedding reception. Granted, the bride and groom haven't shown up yet. Mm. And the people there actually don't know that the bride has shown up and then a wedding has actually happened. So I kind of want to give them a little bit of a pass there. But still, this is supposed to be Fizz's big day, even though Fizz doesn't know about it, because men on the street are so stupid and keep getting passes for it, mm. and I don't understand why. No woman in reality... Well, we'll get to it when we get to it. But, yeah, this is so tacky. So tacky. Mm-hmm. It's like... K- 
Ken must have gone back to the house to get this ring of his of his mother's aunt's girlfriend's dogs paper boys right you know which is haha over a hundred years old haha so hilarious or whatever yeah um yeah i do it does make you wonder how how uh daniel was able to afford that first ring i thought it was his uh, his old one for sinead i don't think so because first of all ew and second of all well actually here's why it's not that ring because that ring he used to propose to Bethany with. And also, it fell ew. out of his hand and was run over on the street by a car and buckled out of shape. So either he's got that fixed, unlikely, or he's got another ring. He would have had to have gotten another ring. He might have been able to still use that diamond, though. Because, I mean, the diamond wouldn't get crushed unless it wasn't a real diamond. The cubic zirconia? Yeah. Yeah. It just it. Oh, why do I hate Daniel so much? Oh, because he's Daniel. That's why. It just it feels. It feels rushed. Well, they've been going out for a year, more than a year. It still feels rushed because they were, they were on again, off again, an awful lot during that year. Let's remember, and she was with that other guy. What's his name? The 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 soccer guy. Wasn't it a soccer guy? John. <laughs> His name wasn't really John, was it? I don't know. Who cares? But you know what I'm talking about. The, the thick one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was in there in between during that year. No, I think that was before that. And I, I, I just, I don't know. It, it. I like Daisy a lot. I like her when she's not pretending that she's an Instagram influencer. Well, I, I don't really mind that at all because that is kind of the age we live in you know that that people try to do this online so it makes sense that somebody on the street is doing this sort of thing i like her single i i I want her to be i i don't want her to be chained to daniel and raising this this child that's not hers for the rest of her life i don't think she'd be getting engaged in a million years and i know that She's had the breast cancer scare, mm-hmm. and it makes you kind of appreciate the moment mm-hmm. and live for the now. Yes, and YOLO and all that sort of stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. But it, there's no way in the world that she'd be getting engaged to him no. right now. No, no, especially not after the embarrassment he put her through. Yep. And the fact that she says, Wh- which this is article, common knowledge, right? This article was lovely, but it doesn't change anything. But then like five minutes later says oh actually i really love you let's get back together because he says i can't walk away from you which sounds more of a threat than anything else right yeah i do wonder who this charming man guy is and what's going to come from that because that's twice that his messages have been verging on creepy without being anything that you'd really notice too much online if they hadn't drawn attention to it right i'm sure she gets much creepier messages than that I'm sure if she was a real person. I'm sure her DMs are a mess. Yeah. Moving on then, our next storyline is SummerSlam. On Monday the 19th, Billy is so frantic as he looks for Summer that he doesn't do any religious activities in the run-up to Christmas. That's how frantic he is. Yes. He does, though, hang out with Aaron in the pub quite a bit. 
And it's there that they get a text from Summer telling them that she's okay, but warning them to stay the fuck away from her. Right. I, I liked it how it was... Uh, like a group text. Billy, Paul and Aaron there uh-huh. in the pub. So they all get a line each to read from Summer's right. text before Billy decides that he's going to tell uh, Todd because Todd's not with them. Right. And Todd didn't get this text too? Who knows? Well done, Summer. <clears throat> We don't hear anything more about that until the 28th when more than a week later, Billy right, gets some... Right, because the only man of God in the show is not allowed to be there for Christmas two years in a row. And of course, last year on Christmas, he wasn't giving a... He wasn't in a church. He was in the street with a piano. He was. From a pub. <laughs> Do they know what an archbishop does? Archdeacon. Archdeacon, whatever. Do they know what... Do they know what Christians are? Maybe this is what an archdeacon does. Drinks in a pub. <laughs> And doesn't have a congregation. He sold the pews years ago, remember? Yes. Todd got the money for that. that that's never been resolved. <sighs> anyway, Billy gets some disturbing alert on his phone. Summer has barred him from her glucose levels. And he actually says that aloud. That's a line of dialogue. Yes. He's up to his tits and worry. Meanwhile, she's gone to Mike and Esther's to give them all the money she's managed to get as a start to repaying the rest she's been working in a, a pub over Christmas. Right, and apparently is living in a hostel. Yep. She spent Christmas in the hostel. Mike gives her the money back and offers her a room at theirs, which they were going to do ages ago anyway. They'll give her some odd jobs round the house that have needed done since their Estonian maid had to leave after Brexit. What? Who are these people? And, Mike and, and Esther. And who makes bread that way? Mike and Esther are a lot calmer than they were and they only mention surrogacy once or twice. On Thursday the 29th, Summer wakes up to hell on earth. Breakfast with Mike and Esther. She's up to the surrogacy, she's up for the surrogacy thing again. Meanwhile, Billy is complaining to Paul how Summer has blocked his access to her glucose records. Mm-hmm. Getting home from a visit to the solicitors, Esther and Mike get a visit from Billy and he sees Summer there. And then today, Friday the 30th, turns out it was Esther who called Billy. Billy's first question is about her fucking glucose readings, which turns out to be news to Summer. And we later discovered that her phone ran out of data. Billy wants her home. Wouldn't wouldn't she notice that her phone is out of data? Mm -hmm. Because wouldn't that affect other apps besides just her glucose level app? Yes. And wouldn't they're like... Yes. Because this is like a life or death situation. Wouldn't her glucose thing like be beeping or something? Billy wants her home and promises to support her having a baby for the creepy Christian couple for no good reason. Summer agrees. And back home, Paul is thrilled to see Summer back. Billy confides in Paul that he doesn't really support Summer in the surrogacy show. Well, obviously not. So it looks like we've swapped Summer can we've swapped Summer cancelling nah. We've swapped Summer concealing her pregnancy from Billy to Billy concealing his disapproval of Summer's plans from Summer. Fucking great. Mm-hmm. That's as far as great with that. There's something further off about these people, and I can't quite put my finger on what it is. Yeah, they're, they're very much ones for the watching. Yeah. Everything that you learn about them makes this arrangement with Summer just all the more suspicious. The the Estonian. That that was what? <laughs> what? She had to go home because of. And inverted commas. Brexit. Brexit. Have they killed that Estonian maid? 
Or was she there not to be a maid, but for something else? Surrogacy related? And then it didn't work out? Maybe she lost a baby too? I don't know. There's something up with them, definitely. Yeah, there's something something weird. And by the time this goes out, people may already know what that is. At the moment, no idea. No idea. Billy's... I I don't understand. Just, just I don't give him something to do that's religious. Right, please. Please. Let this man officiate or, a wedding. Or make him not an archdeacon anymore. Right, yeah. Because what's the point? There is no point. What's the point of having a vicar and then an archdeacon on the show if he doesn't do vicary or archdeacony things besides feeding soup to the homeless? Because there's more to it than that. I mean, that's a good start. Hmm. And it's what Christians should actually be doing instead of, you know, using it to as a shield to hide behind to threaten to kick out immigrants and shit like that. But put the man in a pulpit. Have us have us see him writing a sermon or well, you used to leading, see him writing sermons or leading a prayer meeting or I don't know, bingo night. Potluck. Oh, get something. the fuck with potlucks. Something. Let's see some of the old ladies who go to his church. Because you know there are old ladies that go to his church. I presume and they probably they're all old ladies. Love him. Well, except for uh-huh. creepy Mark and Esther. And they probably all just love him to bits. Where are they? Why does nobody on the street attend his church? What is going on here? A lot I can believe. Well, you'd think some of them would. Why? Well, because percentage-wise, some of them have to be, you know, Christian, besides... Yeah, I think that was Billy. Besides, what's her name, who was also a lesbian, and Sally's daughter, and Sally disapproved of her Christianity as well as her lesbianism. Yes. She didn't disapprove. She accepted both of those things. Right, but at first she didn't. Anyway, I'm I'm sick of the summer slowly, so let's move on. (laughs) To the Christmas wedding storyline. Ugh. This was fun. Eh. On Wednesday the 21st, remember Tyrone is planning a secret Christmas Day wedding? Yes. But Fizz pisses all over these plans when she announces that she's got a late cancellation and they're going to a holiday cottage for Christmas. So with, Tyrone With ha- farm animals, apparently. Will animals be there? Says Ruby, who is a delight as always. So Tyrone has to let Hope and Ruby into the circle of trust and coax them to change their minds so that the secret plan is maintained and the girls agree to this. And although this disappoints Fizz, she's not suspicious yet. On Friday the 23rd, Tyrone is running about like a blue-arsed flea getting dressed, getting dresses arranged for the girls, Maria to do Fizz's hair on Christmas Day and the reception at the Rovers, but in doing so, he's not doing anything to maintain the usual Christmas traditions. So he hasn't bought the turkey or the sprouts and suggests that they get a takeaway instead. And all this makes Fizz think that he doesn't care and it's going to be the worst Christmas ever. And this yeah. is a bit that's just maddening about it. Right, but it's, it's one thing to, to plan a Christmas wedding. Right. But then it's a other thing completely to... There's nothing in this that means that you have to make it look like you hate Christmas now. And that's what Tyrone's doing. And right. there's no reason for it. Yeah. Except that he doesn't have time to do all of it. 
But yeah, he's he's doing a very poor job of not appearing suspicious. Poor Tyrone. Poor Tyrone. Maybe we Tyrone will get a Neaton Rapids t-shirt for his Christmas this year. I meant to get that when I was in that shop. Oh, well. And I forgot. You, you'd already spent $400 there. You're fine. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> Two cars that need to go into the shop. Yeah. Anyway, on Christmas Day, part of Tyrone's plan to keep Fizz off the scent is to be an utter shit to her. And he gets her a Webster's Auto's keyring for her Christmas. Fuck you all, she says, and before Tyrone and the girls can spring the actual surprise, she heads off to get a turkey, and of course she leaves her phone at home, and of course her car breaks down in the middle of nowhere. Chauncey tells him to hang out at the rape hotel to wait for her, that's to Tyrone. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Fizz has run into an angel or an elf or Santa Claus, who leads her to a payphone, and using the key ring, she's able to call Kev to come pick her up. With two walking sticks named Chris. The walking sticks were named Chris? <laughs> yes. Wait. And apparently... Both of them were named Chris. And apparently... There's just One's with this, a K, though. There's just this phone box in the middle of nowhere. So that's, that happens. Which will become very hilarious in another storyline that there's this functioning... When you think... When something happens in another storyline... Where there are no functioning phone boxes. It'll be hilarious when you remember that in this storyline, there's a functioning phone box in the middle of nowhere. So, after a lot of the registrar being impatient and with Evelyn unexpectedly showing up, but keeping her recent whereabouts secret. Yes, and wearing the hat that she wore to Fizz's other wedding. <laughs> yes. Fizz shows up and she and Tyrone get married. And it's actually quite lovely if you choose to ignore Kev's speech, which I do, and the number of times people say spliced, which I do, or Chris Pringle's reprise inexplicably on the cobbles at the end, which I also do. On Boxing Day, Tyrone and Fizz are back from their honeymoon. It was a romantic overnight at Nutsford Services on the M6. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sam catches Hope listening to the Stape tapes. She seems to have memorised some of it, and she tells Sam that she wants to learn what her dad was really like, Sam promises not to say anything, and later Fizz tells the girls that now she and Tyrone are married, everyone's going to change their name to Dobbs. Ruby is excited. Ruby. And Hope sadly goes off to her room, because I think she's quite proud of being a state. Yeah. That's as far as we get with that. Yeah, yeah. That was weird that they were, like, put off by by Hope not being happy about this. Because mm-hmm. it's like, Fizz is saying that she's going to take Tyrone's name. She doesn't say anything about Hope taking Tyrone's name. No, and Ruby's already Ruby Dobbs. Right, think, isn't she? yeah. So this will mean that Hope will be the only person in her household with her own last name, which is just going to further exclude her and make her feel alienated from the rest of her family and cling even more to her perceived dad's memory. Mm. The wedding They're was nice. They're trying to make her a serial killer. <laughs> the wedding was nice, though. It was. It was. Uh, you know, I felt like there should have been at least some pushback from Fizz about this whole thing. That there should have been at least one scene where she's upset about this. But we don't get to see her getting her hair done. We don't get to see the scene where somebody tells her she's getting married today. We just see her walk in with her hair already done and saying, oh, you, Tyrone, 
you and your tricky ways. And of course, we'll get married today. Mm. You silly, silly man. It's well, kind of disappointing that we don't get to see the moment where she finds out she's getting married today mm-hmm. and say, why the hell didn't he just tell me? And then I wouldn't have gotten so upset and gone to try to get a turkey from this farmer out in the middle of nowhere. All, all he really achieves is a little bit of a surprise. Well, not a little bit of a surprise. It's a big surprise. But he could have said to her when he decided last week or the week uh-huh. before that this is what was going to happen. And, yeah. and that could be his the surprise is we can we can get married on Christmas Day if you want. Uh-huh. Yeah. Doesn't even check to see if it's okay with her. Right. If she wants to share her wedding anniversary with Christmas, which works in his favor because he'll never forget it. And he'll always have a gift. But then have to ask all these people to give up their Christmases right. as well to go to the rape hotel. Right. And also ask all of these people who are already busy at Christmas time with their plannings for their own Christmases to sneak around and basically remake a dress and mm. <laughs> open up their shops to do Fizz's hair. Right. And then you know, uh, tuck uh, in these girls' dresses suspect, from the internet. I suspect that Maria did uh, Fizzy's hair in the back of the recovery van with, with Kev. But, I don't know, I liked that Evelyn was back. Yes, me too. Because she's never going to, she should never miss that, right? No. She's always going to be there. Right. I like the fact that Gemma started nipping Chauncey's ear about getting married now. Yes. Because that's way overdue as well. It's way and overdue. at least now Tyrone and Fizz are finally, 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 Actually finally married. married. Yes. So that's nice. something, to be, something to be thankful for. Yes. I just wonder what Evelyn's secret is. Because she's got a deep, dark secret now. So that's great. She's been secretly boning Roy. <laughs> Maybe that's what's made him so forgetful recently. <laughs> we'll get to that. And why he doesn't want a phone... Where where his his location can be shared at all times. Now I gave this a storyline of its own because it felt like it was going to be something, and then it turned out that it, it isn't much. But this was whistling Mary. On Friday the twenty third, Mary wants to go carol singing, but Glenda's busy making milk jelly. Shona is preparing for family nibbles night and having to make two dozen deviled eggs because she mistakenly thinks that Nick loves them and complains when there aren't any. And Brian has remembered that Alex exists and has arranged to meet him for dinner later. But during dinner, it transpires that Alex isn't alone this Christmas and turned down three offers from his assisted living friends to have dinner with Brian. So Brian ditches Alex and goes carol singing with Mary after all. And they're wearing Victorian dress. Yeah. Which and that's, that was all that happened there. Yeah. Well, so, it's 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 another nudge in the direction of Brian and Mary getting it on. Yeah. It was nice to see Alex again. It's always nice to see it's Alex again. It's always nice to see Alex again. Yes. More Alex, please. Mm. We find out that he's moved into an assisted living place. Which he didn't knew, move with Kathy. I think we knew that after Kathy, after Kathy, Kathy left. left. I wonder if Kathy made a, a quick... A quick detour on a Rosamond Street, but we'll get to that mm. as well. All right, our penultimate storyline. Oh my God! Uh-huh. Really? We're doing all right here. We are doing all right. It's Mobile Roy. On Wednesday, twenty eighth, Asha's trying to organise a date with Nina to a secret cinema event, but it's complicated because Roy is volunteering at the new charity shop, so Nina has to cover at the cafe. He's late getting back, which pisses off Asha, especially as they got Roy a mobile for Christmas that he refuses to use. 
He gets back late, all apologetic, but Nina is now pissed off at Roy because she missed her cinema date and it could have been resolved if he'd had that fucking phone on him. They're mm-hmm. going to go and see her favourite film, Mulholland Drive. Yes, which our friend Virginia Lee was an extra in. Mm, was she? Yeah. It's Mulholland Drive that she was. No. What was it? It's Blue Velvet. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry, I got the wrong the wrong film. Yeah. I haven't seen Mulholland Drive. I have. Do you like it? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> On the 29th. I- I'm kind of, I'm kind of ambivalent about David Lynch. Oh, but Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is the best movie ever. I did like Twin Peaks. I've never watched that either. I have seen Fire Walk With Me, but not having seen Twin Peaks, I didn't have a clue what was mm. going on. Do you like Eraserhead? Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It's weird. It is weird. Yeah, my first husband was obsessed with it, and it explained his hair in the... Yeah, early you, aughts. You didn't need to say that. <laughs> On Thursday the 29th, Nina's still annoyed at Roy about his hatred of mobile phones and specifically how that hatred fucks up her ability to see a rare print of Mulholland Drive. Seems there's a bat watch meeting coming up and he wants her to check the details on her phone. Ah ha ha ha, she says. Right. And she refuses and tells him to check it on his own phone. She really is pissed off. Because it's a Snapchat group. And also I think she was pissed off because... I think she was worried about Roy because it's not like him to be late. And, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's nowhere to be found and that's not like him. And so I think that has a lot to do with why she's angry and also why she wants him to have a mobile phone as well. Because, you know, he's not young and he's the only family she's got. The only point for him not having a phone is so he can feel and sound superior to people by saying, no, I don't have a mobile phone. That's the only reason why people don't have a mobile phone. And it's so weird because, you know, especially now, I, I mean, I can kind of understand in the beginning of mobile phones and cell phones and smartphones kind of being like hoity-toity about it. But at this point in the world where there aren't an awful lot of pay phones left. No. And there's no way, there's no other way to get a hold of of people. And you really have change in your pocket to use one, even if you find it. Right, and and so much, so much is done as far as organizing and stuff on your phone or on on different apps and stuff. When I was when I was still the chairperson of the the park committee, we had one old farmer on the committee. Who's, who was essentially Roy, mm. only he was a farmer. He didn't own a coffee shop. And it was so annoying because it was you, you couldn't get a hold of him for anything. He did not have the internet. He did not have a computer, did not have a cell phone. You would call him and leave a message on his answering machine and just pray to God that he got it before the meeting sort of thing. So there are people like Roy still in the world, but the world has moved on. Mm. Nina is right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she tells him to check on his phone, but instead he looks up Nick's number in his address book, phones him and asks him to come in later, which Nick does, and Roy gives him the mobile with instructions to give it to Sam, and Nina walks in and is even more pissed off, and she was already very pissed off. Yeah, because who gives away their Christmas present 
Re-gifts, two days after Christmas. Re-gifts, a Christmas present like that. Two days after Christmas. And then today, on Friday, Nina is ready for New Year's and she and I shall leave Roy to it. Roy promising to communicate more effectively with her in future and apologising for ruining her night the other night. And they make plans for Batwatch tomorrow. And that's as far as we get with that. Yeah. So this will come to bite Roy in the ass. Presumably, yeah. Yeah. Something's going to happen in Batwatch. Where he's going to need a phone and not have one. Right. Nice to see Nina back. Yes. Nice to see Nina and Asha together. Right. And they actually kissed. Oh my God, they actually kissed. They kissed mm-hmm. on the show. And it wasn't just them, their faces getting closer together and then a cutaway. <laughs> it was a bit of a perfunctory sort of smooch, but it was a smooch nonetheless. I mean, at this point in the relationship. Yeah, fair enough. They've been together longer than Daniel and Daisy. You don't see them rushing to march down the aisle. True enough. And both of them have jobs. I just like I just like the um that after all that shit that happened last year, a couple of years ago, really three years ago, I guess, for Asha now, she's just so comfortable and at ease now. And it's just really, really nice. I yeah, like it. That's why we don't get to see her very often because <laughs> right. she has a normal life now. Right. All right. Let's get on to our final storyline of the week, which is Tim's mum about the house. At Christmas. You couldn't get them to... I deliberately didn't. I thought it was funnier. You were wrong. I stand by it. On Christmas Day, Stephen got one of those car roof rack things despite not having a car, so he's fitting it onto Audrey's instead as Jenny passes by and there's some low-level awkward flirting with Stephen promising to catch up with her later, but just as friends. At the plaque Christmas at the Bistro, Stephen gets a message from Tim's mum asking to meet up, so he goes to see her at Yasmin's who is entertaining Sally and Tim too. Sally, incidentally, got Timmy's old jacket back for Christmas because she just basically told Steve just to hand it over or I'll punch you, see? Right. Stephen and Tim's mum exchange gifts. She gives him a lovely hip flask, with Stephen promising to pay her back with interest when Sarah's business takes off. Jenny sees Stephen leave Tim's mum and give her a kiss under the mistletoe, so when Stephen apologises for not meeting her early as planned, she pretends it's no biggie. But she does seem to be a bit pissed off. Which is weird, because... Because why? She hates Stephen. On Boxing Day, Stephen gives David the hip flask as a belated birthday present. Right. Good for so a wee nip, he says. Regifting 2.0. Right. And reacts like his feelings have been hurt when David is ungrateful. Later, Audrey and Sam are getting ready for their cruise when Gail sees David use the hip flask for an orange squash. Gail is suspicious that Stephen is being so fucking tight with his money. And meanwhile, Stephen is in the rovers trying to make amends with Jenny and making excuses about Tim's mum. He insists they're just friends. Jenny doesn't care. On the way out, he mansplains spreadsheets to Carla. In the bistro, Tim's mum's chatting with Gail as she buys a bottle of Canadian whiskey from a restaurant to go with the hip flask she bought Stephen earlier. Uh, well, maybe she went to Dev's first and Dev didn't have any Canadian rye whiskey. Remember, it was rye whiskey. Mm-hmm. Very specific. Later, Gail airs her suspicions to Nick, filling him in on the five guys, six fellas stuff too. But not like that. She tracks down Stephen and Tim's mum and demands to speak to them. She's just come off the phone with Gabrielle and knows about the theft from the company. 
Tim's mum screams that Stephen is being coercively controlled by Gabrielle, and Stephen plays along, agreeing he's being abused, and turns on the waterworks. And and Gail swallows it, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, she asks about the state agent confusion with Grasmere Drive from a few months ago, and Stephen reacts angry as he denies it. Gail wants to tell the police and Audrey, but Stephen convinces her otherwise. Later, Stephen phones Gabrielle to shout at her, but she does not give a solitary fuck about him or his threats anymore. You're just lucky I didn't tell her the whole story, she says. But then later in the pub, Tim's mum has been having a think, and because she fancies Stephen Rotten, she doesn't think it's a great idea to invest in Sarah's business until they know each other better. Oh, pig's tits, says Stephen. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little confused because it did seem that he also fancied Tim's mum back. He did. And then... Now he doesn't. Now he wants Jenny. But doesn't he just want Jenny so he... I think he wants Jenny just to keep an eye on her. Right. Yeah. But can't he just... (laughs) What? It's like... It's like he wants to be caught in both of these things. At this point, yes. It's like he wants to be caught as a baddie who stole from his wife and is just a bad person and he wants to be caught for killing Leo just because he just wants all of this to be over. Yeah, it's almost like that. It is. On Wednesday... And that keeps backfiring on him, which is kind of hilarious, but also infuriating. It's kind of funny. And I think what happens on Wednesday was testing the limits of my... (laughs) my patience on it right yeah so on the 28th on wednesday sarah is back from scotland chasing Stephen up for the funding or a heads up if there's going to be an issue with getting her the money so there's an out right there right she says if there's a problem tell me right and he says no no that's fine he tells her he just needs a couple more days later in nina's roles carla thanks Stephen for his excel advice he sits with Elaine and he forgives her about her decision to withdraw the offer of the loan, but that doesn't stop him tugging at her emotions and he suggests that she invest directly with Sarah instead. In the factory, Carla tells Sarah to clean the bogs and Sarah takes a huff and Carla announces that she knows all about Sarah and Michael's plans. Sarah pleads to the knicker people who are all interested in their fingernails because she wants them back in here that you know, right. you're know you a dinosaur, you're old and you'd have no fresh ideas and all that right. sort of stuff and everyone and just starts come with us whistle. Mm. We'll, we'll be able to pay you with no premises and no funding right and, and poor Michael <laughs> is just standing there dumbfounded as <laughs> yeah Sarah resigns for herself and, and for him. him right so she tracks down Stephen, who finally admits that he doesn't have the money, but when he sees Tim's mum later, she decides to invest in Stephen again after all. But when Sarah and Michael go to thank Tim's mum, it turns out that the house that she was due to buy has fallen through, so the investment is off again. Like, fucking hell! Right. What? So, Sarah and Michael have to go back to the factory to beg Carla for their jobs back, but she tells them to go fuck themselves because she's already hired Stephen and his nipples in her place. Right, but that doesn't replace Michael. No. So why not just at least give Michael back his job? Right. Back in Nina's roles, Stephen and Tim's mum confuse each other further about whether the investment is still viable because her sale is still going through and she'll need the 12k for rent. Back at the factory, with Carla away, Stephen gets Sally to show him the computer system. 
And while she does that, he subtly tells her how much Tim's mum thinks of her, and that's all it takes for Sally to invite Tim's mum to hers to stay so she doesn't have to rent anywhere. Mm-hmm. So in the Rovers, the sale finally goes through, Stephen gets the money, and it's champagne all round, and everything's finally looking to be in good order until Jenny takes a call, and it looks like Sinkhole Leo's dad, Teddy, is on his way back from Canada with some new information. Uh-oh. So Stephen spends most of the morning haranguing Jenny for information about Teddy, who is now back in the country. He offers her support for when Teddy comes round because that's normal, but she knocks him back. At the factory, Sarah boxes up her desks with <clears throat> At the factory, Sarah boxes up her desk with Adam, who tells Stephen the five guys, the six fellas people, want him to contact them, and he reckons that they want to settle out a court. Stephen remains shifty about this and starts pestering Daisy at the Rovers about Teddy's impending arrival. And all through this, people, when he goes to people with questions about Teddy and about Jenny and about everything that's going on, people say, well, why you're, do you, you're why being do you nosy, care? why do you care? But then tell him anyway. Right. Yeah. I swear to God. <laughs> Outside, Stephen sees Teddy at the Christmas market and starts questioning him. Teddy reveals that Leo never made it to Canada and now suspects that Jenny and Stephen had something to do with it. And as they argue... I don't know if he... It's very confusing because he, he you know, he says he's going to talk to Jenny about it, and it kind of seems suspicious, but he doesn't suspect Stephen until Stephen's, like, constantly asking him questions, and then he's, the light finally goes on, mm. and that's when he says, wait... You had something to do with this. You know something, don't you? Right. But then Ted backs away from Stephen onto the street where he's promptly run over by Emma and Faye or possibly <laughs> Cathy. Or the ghost of dead Ted. And what the is it with Ted's trying to cross the street at New Year? And, and the ghost of gay Ted. <laughs> if, your name it, if your name is Ted... On Coronation Street. It's a one-year contract, folks. You might as well be wearing a red shirt on Star Trek. So today, on Friday, Stephen basically hangs around places he's not wanted and has no business being, much like everyone in the factory. Which includes being alone at comatose Teddy's bedside in the hospital. (gasps) Getting so much use out of this. I know. Because they find out that he's alive in the street, so they throw him in an ambulance, and it's Jenny and Stephen who go to the hospital. And again, Jenny's like, why are you here? But just stay here, because I've got to go nip off for a shite. Right. So that leaves Stephen on his own in a room with Teddy. Well, it's kind of like, because he was the one who, who was speaking to him when he got hit. So I think they kind of wanted him to go along so that he could speak to the police. I don't think anybody's asked him along. And if they wanted, if the police wanted to speak to him, they could speak to him back on the street. I don't know. So it looks like he's about to switch off poor Ted's life support when. Yeah, because Jen- <laughs> he's whispering to him and apologizing for killing Leo. And apologizing for being about to kill him. Right. But then Jenny comes in and interrupts him, so that doesn't happen. And it looks like Teddy is going to be okay eventually. 
Meanwhile, there's also some stuff about Peter and Carla having no plans for New Year's. And then we see Stephen, after being prompted by Adam, giving the Five Guys, Six Fellas people a call about the supposed settlement. And somehow, Stephen manages to get them to settle with him out of court for £10,000, telling them that once he has that money, they will never hear from him again, as will anybody else in the street, because he's going to be leaving the UK. Back to Canada. And that is how you cover seven hours worth of Coronation Street. Apparently the moped was not insured. Oh. So they they don't want they don't want anybody to know that. Ah, so see. that's why they're settling. That's just very convenient that that six fellas is is run so shoddily. Right. How dare they defame the name of five guys, burgers and fries burgers that and way. Guys. We drove by a few five guys on our travels over Christmas and never went. Yeah. It's a really good grease burger. We haven't been there in forever and there's one just kind of right up the street. Of course, it was closed during COVID. Mm-hmm. They don't do the peanuts anymore because right. COVID. Right. It's like Texas Texas Roadhouse doesn't do the buckets of peanuts that you can throw the peanut shells on the ground anymore because COVID. Yeah. It's a wee shame. Uh, the pe- uh, How is the peanut business surviving? Oh, it gets by. Right. Thanks to Jimmy Carter. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he may as well be wearing a, a black cape that he pulls right. over half his face as he runs around following people and listening to conversations and, and the, being so obviously there. And a black hat. He's and a black eye patch. He's always obviously there. And a twirly mustache. Mm. He's not getting that money. He's not going back to the uh, out of the UK. He's not going back to Canada. He's not going to Milan. I don't think this. He's got to get caught. He's got to get caught, and I, I think somehow it's going to get worse for him. And he, we've we've got to find out what, <laughs> where he ditched poor Leo. Absolutely, because the but, fact that nobody has found Leo's body yet seems suspicious. So, in or my, that pile of burnt clothes. In my haste to get through seven hours worth of Coronation Street, though, there was some interesting conversation between Teddy and Stephen where Teddy says, look, we've got them to triangulate the pings from the mobile phone and he was never in Canada. He was making calls from this street and from this pub. So so maybe that's, well, not maybe, that's why he suspects Jenny knowing something about it but it's good that all that kind of forensic stuff that we always thought about right that Stephen never thought never about. considered until it was far too late is actually having some kind of impact on, right. on the storyline but it's still <sighs> it's, it's still comedy stupid and I I don't hate it yet but it was really really testing me with that investment on investment off on on Wednesday, it was and, just and, so much backwards and forwards and and Gail getting running around so close, and then Tim's mom having to butt her nose in and you know talk about the coercive control, which I hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate. It even I hate more. that she's been duped into thinking that he has been under coercive control because it when, just makes her look like a goofball, especially when she says, "Well, dressed as a goofball," mm-hmm. that. She knows coercive control when she sees it. Right. And I said, oh, oh no. come on. Come on, Tim's mum. Don't do this. Come on. No. 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 What did you think of Ted getting 
run over. As Mersey Tart correctly points out, nobody should be going that fast on that street. There's no room to go that fast There's on no that street. There's no room to go that fast on that street. And the lady rushes out and she's like, he just came out of nowhere when he was backing out into the street for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And also, why is she going that fast? And, you know, it's just... Bloody Kathy, honestly. <laughs> it was Kathy, wasn't it? Sure. <clears throat> I was hoping for a meet Joe Black moment where you see Teddy getting boing, pinged about boing, like a pinball. Boing, boing, boing. <laughs> From car to car. That yeah. would perfect. It's one of my favourite moments in cinematic history. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I I just want this to be over. You've had enough. I've had enough. I, 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 there, there are times where this storyline annoys me more than Summer. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've quite got that far yet, but. Cause there's always, it's the it's, coercive control thing that that's is, tipped me over the edge. That bit's awful, but there's, there's enough people round about it that make it interesting for me we had audrey speaking norwegian this week in the storyline which yes. i very much appreciated sam was good fun gail being kind of an inspector gail wasn't bad if only she'd gone that little a little, bit, little bit, further, bit further right but i'd suspect it's going to be gail that that brings all this down yeah i, would she's, so. I think she's still suspicious yes she doesn't quite believe him but like you said, I think he's wanting to get caught. The way that he just gave away the, the hip flask the day after he gets it. You're just asking for trouble. And what? True enough, you're better getting David nothing than getting him something as suspicious as a, as a hip flask. Well, let's remember, the hip flask was in like a velvet bag on the table and David just assumed it was his birthday present and opened it and Stephen just didn't stop him. Well, that's true. So, you know... It's just. Was that a joke? Yes. <laughs> because David did David wrong. David did say that again. I this mean, it's week. just yes, mm. nothing. I'm tempted to make a collection of those. We'll see. Anyway, those were the weeks that were Coronation Street. Yes. What did you think of the whole Christmas thing? I, I kind of, I find it half and half. You know, Ian McLeod was saying beforehand it was going to be a, a kind of light-hearted, mm-hmm. sort of family-orientated Christmas, which made me sound like it was going to be the same as last year's and the, and the year before. Mm. Was the year before like that? Mm. The year before was pretty good. Mm. Um, and we were worried going into Christmas that nothing that was happening at that time led us to believe that that's what they were going to deliver. And I, but I think they did kind of at least half deliver that. And they gave us a break from summer, which I very much appreciate. Was it maybe a little too sentimental, though? Which, which bit? Just, just the whole thing. Did it maybe go too much in that direction? I didn't like the Chris guy helping Fizz and then appearing back on the street and then having the little... Having him like hide behind the thing mm. and then come back out and... Then the keyhole fade. Nose... Putting a finger aside of his nose mm. and going up Death's chimney, but not like that. Because uh, remember in um, in Corey News when I talked about how uh, Coronation Street and um, Emmerdale were beat by EastEnders, mm-hmm. 
EastEnders had a death. Yeah, EastEnders had a big character going out of it. A, tr- a very big, traumatic, drowning death, would you believe? Drowning at Christmas. Yeah. I, I suppose that's better than Halloween. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but still, it's a big character going out in a drowning death trying to save the pr- woman he loves. But what this proves is that the big events is what people tune in for then. And what we're saying is that no, people don't tune in for that. People tune in for for character driven stuff rather than big plot devices. But I think I think I think the thing is is that with this um with this East Enders thing is that it was also character driven. It wasn't you know, because there was a lot of build up to it. Oh, you know, it didn't so. happen in a vacuum. Whereas yeah. in an awful lot of the Corey big events. Yeah, I'm assuming that Mick didn't fall asleep in the bath, just apropos of nothing. Right. Yeah. So I don't I, I think I think they have to find a healthy balance between the two. I don't mind because I don't know. Because I I really did like last year's with the Pardon me. I really did like last year's with the caroling in the street and everybody gathering in the street because they couldn't all gather inside because of COVID. And that felt like a very important moment for the country. Right. And f- as well as the show. And while they're, they're kind of crowing about the fact that they had more people on the set than they've ever this had Christmas than they've had since the beginning yeah. of COVID or whatever it was, you know, not including the one religious person on the street but never mind the most the most characters in a christmas episode since the 60s i think it was right there's 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 gotta be a way to do that that's christmassy that doesn't involve a wedding and a reception where people are invited that you're like would sean would sean really give up his christmas day to go to a wedding I think he would because he loves his fist bump. Mm. But Didi has 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 Didi or is is Didi Michael's plus one because Michael is there and Michael makes sense because Michael and Fizz both work at the factory, right? But yeah, but Didi walks through a shop right. at one point and speaks and says something to right. I think Tyrone or something. Is right? Like, Do you two even know each other? Right? Have you ever had a conversation before? Right? You know. And well, I, I'm I'm very very glad that they got Evelyn back. Yeah, and that makes sense. And there have been so many weddings. There have been so many weddings even before the time of COVID, where you're like, wait a second, shouldn't so and so be here because they're family to these people? Right. You know, they. <laughs> It it kind of feels like overcompensating. Yeah. And and much. having this bonkers storyline where Tyrone plans a secret Christmas Day wedding. In two weeks. In two weeks that he doesn't tell his fiance about and then expects other people on the street to give up their Christmases for free because he's not paying Beth or anybody for for this work, is I he? I think that's the whole point. It just I don't know. It didn't. It didn't really work for me, you know. 
that I really, I, you know what? I really, I did really love the montage in the beginning, though. They always do that pretty well. Yeah. I loved seeing everybody on the street with their families opening presents. I thought Gemma and, and Chesney's family, you know, all of them wearing the same jammies, except for Paul, was just, you know, really adorable and everything. And I really loved that. And I kind of wished there was a bit more. Yeah, I, I kind of like that sort of thing. Roy's face when he got the mobile phone was, right. was kind of funny until it became a storyline. Right, yeah. And until it made Roy awful. <laughs> right. You know, uh, when he put the coin in that stupid big clunky phone thing that he's got and he's like shout, essentially shouting into it and he's looking in his address book to find Nick's phone number, mm-hmm. you know, and somebody gives him a hard time for having an address book. It's like... We know Roy is a little different and we know that he's very traditional and he's a very honest and a good person. Do, do we really need to make him an asshole too? <laughs> well, he was always one that was, he kept abreast of what was going on in the world around right. about him and just yeah. seems to be a kind of negligent aspect of that. Right. As Nina rightly points out, you know, he's a man of science mm-hmm. and yet he won't accept this, this miracle of technology that we have computers that 50 years ago filled a room mm. in our pockets mm. it's kind of amazing even in a lady pocket yes even in a lady pocket but not like, but that. Not like that although it's suppose you can yeah so i mean i don't know i, I don't think it was as good as last year yeah i, I really loved en- last year's i still enjoyed it though um it wasn't it wasn't as gloomy as i I feared it was going yeah. to be. Um, they seem to be setting liked, that for New Year's. I liked that the plaque Christmas at the Bistro seemed to be somewhat successful until David shot his mouth off. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, just those little bits that kind of take you out of Coronation Street or take me out of Coronation Street, the things like the the volume wall thing where you think, I don't know if this is Christmas. I, I don't know if this is Coronation Street. Mm-hmm. That... Chris Pringle, because that was the character's name apparently in the mm. in the credits. I felt like it was just trying a little bit too hard to be a Christmas special of something, but I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm nitpicking a little bit because right. I did I did enjoy it. Yeah, you know what part I loved the most when Sally gave Tim his oh, old yes. coat back for yes. Christmas. I thought that was a very nice ending to that storyline. Yeah, and it gave me hope for Haley's Anorak. Right. That would have been the thing to mm. give Roy for Christmas. Right. He's finding Haley's Anorak. Now that Evelyn's back, I'm hoping that they find the Anorak, especially since it seems like Roy's been helping out at the charity shop as well. Exactly. All right, then. What was your moment of the week? Gosh, there's so much. I know. <laughs> Did we give it to Fizz and Tyrone's wedding? I think so. It was certainly the highlight of it. It kind of feels like we're we're obligated to give it to weddings. A little bit. Yeah. Even ones that are stupid. But here we have here we have one where I don't think Kev had a shave, so He smiled. It, it felt though. like it was a a, a a bigger ensemble moment. And yeah. I think that's maybe significant or something. So sure. Let's let's give it to Fizz and Tyrone finally getting married. Hmm. That's our 
moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Daniel's essay. It's Daniel's article, absolutely. Yeah. And because they were lazy and they didn't think anyone would pause it. Although I'm sure they, they knew that some people would pause it. How and could they, they not know that, that you would pa- pause it? And I say we, and I do mean me. Yes. Would pause it and say, because wait a minute. I don't fucking care. And I would say, wait a minute, that's a raven. <laughs> Why is the raven there? Why did they pick the raven? Why didn't they pick a British poet? That makes no... Why Edgar Allan Poe? Probably the least Christmassy poet there ever was. Well, to that I say, Edgar Allan, no. That is a boring <laughs> moment of the week. Oh my God. Oh well, we've oh been well. on here for a couple of hours, so I guess we should wrap this up. Yes, please. We will be back to normal next week. Yes. I guess, because we're well, into kind tw- of. 2023. I think we've got an extra half hour or something tomorrow that we, we need to cover, but it won't be another seven hour marathon and i think we can oh, all be grateful God. for that right i know i am so if you would want to plagiarize a poem and a and a newspaper essay about loss right and to let us know about it we are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at cory podcast on twitter facebook and instagram and mastodon you can shout me and helena coffee by heading to kofi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and youtube channel and if you're so inclined please leave a rating and a review on the itunes or your podcast provider of choice have a wonderful and safe new year. Yes. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week in 2023 with more. Talk on the street. Talk on the street. Bye. Cheerio.